Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is a production of Produce North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Welcome back, everyone. This is Michael Hatton, and this is our Pardes podcast on Sefer Shemuel. Recall that last time we read the very exciting events of chapter 24. David and his men had descended to Ein Gedi in order to hide from Shaul's pursuit, but Shaul did not give up. He came down to Ein Gedi with his men in order to capture David. He entered a cave in order to relieve himself, not realizing that David and some of his men were hiding in that very cave. In spite of the fact that Shaul was vulnerable and David's own men encouraged him to kill him, David refused. This was, after all, the anointed of the Lord, and David would not commit regicide. As Shaul left the cave, David called to him, and Shaul turned around. And David very poignantly spelled out the injustice of Shaul's behavior. And Shaul agreed. Is that your voice, my son David? And Shaul lifted up his own voice, and he cried. You have dealt justly with me, said Shaul, in spite of the fact that I tried to harm you, and I know that God will repay you. Shaul then proclaimed for the first time, Now I know that you surely will be king. And the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Swear to me that you will not destroy my descendants. And David swore. Both of them parted ways. It will not be their final meeting, but it was a poignant meeting in which Shaul acknowledged David's righteousness as well as David's bright future as the king of Israel. Chapter 25 begins with a seemingly extraneous detail, the death of Shemuel. Shemuel died and all of Israel gathered to bury him in his house at Ramah to eulogize him. David and his men descended to the wilderness of Paran. Did Shaul join the funeral? Were David and his men also there? Was there perhaps a tense standoff? That is not reported. Rabbi David Kimchi suggests that in fact, Shemuel's death is reported now not only because it took place chronologically at this point, but because it was a moment, as it were, when Shemuel's words had been fulfilled. Shemuel had said to Shaul, God has rejected you, God will replace you, a new king will take your place who is more fit. And those words hung in the air until Shaul himself acknowledged them to David in chapter 24. Having acknowledged Shemuel's words, now, as it were, Shemuel was ready to die, and in fact, 
That is why the fact is reported. Later on, we will realize that it will be significant that Shimuel is no more, but for now, the detail, as it were, is presented as a foreshadowing without any sort of obvious meaning. And in fact, the Tanakh will do that. It will present an extraneous detail that will not become clear until later in the story. There was a man in Ma'on, and he had great possessions, 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and his name was Naval. And Naval was engaged in shearing his sheep, which is a festive moment. Naval had a wife, the text reports, whose name was Avigail. She was wise and beautiful, but Naval himself was a difficult man very, very unfriendly and unpleasant to deal with. And he was a Khalibi. He was from the clan of Kalev, which seemingly indicates that he belongs to the tribe of Yehuda, which is, of course, David's tribe as well. David had heard when his men had been hiding in the wilderness that Naval was engaged in a celebration of the sheep shearing and David sends 10 of his servant boys to Carmel, which is in the area of Hebron, to Naval, in order to extend greetings on behalf of David. The message is very, very eloquent and friendly and kind and full of deference. I have heard, said David, that you are shearing the sheep. Bear in mind that your shepherds were never humiliated or disgraced or harmed by us as long as they shepherded in the area of Carmel. Ask your own servant boy, say David's men. We have heard that it is a day of celebration. Please extend to your servants and to your son David something from your celebration. Now, of course, this indicates, as we have already seen, that David, as a fugitive, is in a desperate situation. He and his men literally live from day to day. Naval is a wealthy man. David's men had protected Naval's shepherds. Had they done so out of goodwill and altruism? Had they done so anticipating some sort of payback later in the day? not entirely clear. In any case, David's men present their words to Naval with deference and with honor, and Naval's response is absolutely harsh. Who is David and who is Ben Yishai? Many slaves have fled their masters, says Naval, I certainly have no intention of sharing anything from my celebration, from my possessions, from my good fortune with you or with your men. David's servants turn to go and they report to David what Naval had said. David reacts with anger. He calls upon his men to place their swords upon themselves and 400 men follow David in order to exact vengeance. I should just point out, 
as the Midrash in fact does, that the image of David donning his weapons with his 400 fighters going to confront and to kill perhaps the one whom has the one who has disgraced them very much reminds us of someone else in the biblical story namely Esav the brother of Jacob back in Genesis chapter 33 Esav of course commands 400 men and Esav like David now goes to meet now, uh, Esav, like David, had gone to meet Yaakov, to confront Yaakov, and David now goes to confront Naval. The Midrash actually says there are only two people in the Tanakh that are reported to be Admoni, ruddy or red complexion or red hair. This was characteristic of David back in chapter 16, and it's also how Esav is described at his birth, and the Midrash suggests that when David donned his sword and took his 400 men, following, as it were, the example of a sub to exact vengeance and to kill, it was an a sub moment. That David, as it were, earned the characterization of being Admoni, where ruddy or red-haired could also symbolically refer to bloodshed to the red blood that David would spill. But the Midrash says there is, however, a difference. David, in chapter 16, was described as being Yefei Enayim, having beautiful eyes, which refers to some sort of a sensitivity or a spiritual capacity that Esav lacked entirely. And we will shortly see how that manifests itself in the story. So at this point, David and his men are making their way to destroy Naval and his household, and it will be Naval's wife, Avigail, who now steps into the breach. When Avigail hears what Naval had said to David's servants, she quickly takes provisions, 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep which had been prepared and five measures of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred clusters of fig cakes, and all of this is a very, very generous amount of food, and she makes her way to David. There she is, descending the hillside from the one side, as David and his four hundred armed men are descending from the other, and they meet. And when they meet, she quickly dismounts from the donkey. She had not, of course, reported to Naval what she was doing. She throws herself at David's feet and takes blame for what had happened. Do not listen, she says, to what my husband Naval had said to you. His name is Naval, and as his name implies, because in Hebrew the name actually means coarseness or baseness or evil or wickedness. That is the person that he is, says Abigail. But I had no idea that you and your men had requested provisions. Abigail then launches into a very, very eloquent speech. And what she says in a nutshell is, I know the day will come 
when you will become king, verse number 30, God will do for you everything that he spoke, all the goodness that he spoke concerning you, and he will make you his ruler over Israel. And verse 31, which now follows, is the most important message in her words to David. Velo tihiyeh zot lecha lefuka let this not be a stumbling block. Let this not be a failure on your part, my master, such that you spill blood for no reason. God will do good to you, and you must remember your maidservant. Essentially, what Avigail says is the day will come when you will be king, and you do not want to mar your rise to the throne with an act of bloodshed, with an act of killing, with an act of murder. It may very well be the case that Naval is a scoundrel, but he's not guilty of a capital crime. And if you kill him, says Abigail, then surely that will taint and that will mar your ascent to the throne. And David listens. In the Hebrew, the word used is puka, verse number 31. It's a curious word in Hebrew, a parallel from the book of Nahum that the commentaries point out. Peak birkaim, the image is almost knees which are buckling. Let you not experience failure. Moral failure, that is, in taking the life of Naval because that will impact on the kind of kingship that you create. What incredibly powerful prophetic words. Amazingly, the rabbis in Tractate Megillah, page 14, actually include Avigail in the pantheon of prophetesses in ancient Israel. She is regarded as a prophetess, I would like to suggest not only because she does, as it were, predict the future of David becoming king, many people have already done that, but because she provides the kind of moral guidance that is the bread and butter of being a prophet. You want to be a king one day? Great. Don't get there by committing bloodshed. Don't get there by killing Naval. That's her message. It is, in fact, a veiled rebuke. And David listens. David accepts, and David ultimately will praise Abigail. Blessed be God, the Lord of Israel, who sent you this day in order to meet me. Blessed be your words. Blessed be you. You prevented me on this day from committing bloodshed, and you saved me from committing that crime. Had you not come, says David, said David, I would surely have destroyed Naval entirely. David takes the provisions that Avigail has provided very graciously. Avigail returned home to her husband, and as he celebrated wantonly and became drunk, as the hangover wore off, she reported to him what had happened, his close brush with death and destruction that he was not even aware of, 
And the text reports in verse number 37, his heart died within him and it became stone, so to speak. He suffers a heart attack or a stroke and 10 days later, he dies. When David hears that Naval is dead, he praises God for having done justice on his behalf. And then he sends messengers to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. They arrive, and she immediately follows. Quickly, verse number 42, Abigail arises, she rides upon the donkey with her attendant girls, and she becomes wife to David. The chapter ends with the report of David's first wife, Achinoam, whom David had taken from Israel, such that both of them now become his wives. So as far as we know at this point, David has two wives, Achinoam from Israel, and Avigail, the former wife of Naval, who now becomes David's wife as well. Of course, David had a wife named Michal, the daughter of Shaul. And in fact, the last verse of the chapter, but it's actually disconnected from this section in the original Hebrew, reports that Shaul had given Michal his daughter, David's wife, to Palti ben Laish, who was from Galim. So we'll have to discuss how it is that Shaul takes David's wife and gives her to another man. But for our purposes to note for now, David as a fugitive has two wives, one Achinoam and the other Avigail. And of course, Avigail having provided the kind of powerful message to David in his moment of rage, prevents him from committing a crime that he would later have regretted when he becomes king. The message, of course, is clear. In a moment of rage, it is easy to lash out, but often that kind of response turns out to be destructive and counterproductive. And Avigail alerts us to the possibility, as difficult as it is, even in a moment of rage and feeling humiliated and feeling disgraced, to be able to restrain ourselves actually might save us from an awful lot of trouble later in the day. With that, the chapter ends. Next time we will consider what happens when David and Shaul have their final meeting as the book inexorably draws to a close. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Parties North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network. If you liked what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.